Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. One of my favorite conversations I've ever had on There Are No Girls on the Internet is with a writer who was targeted and harassed online about how she continues to stay safe while doing visible work on the Internet. Without missing a beat, she said, anybody worried about online harassment should sign up for Delete Me. I signed up for Delete Me right then and there, and I personally recommend it to anyone. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls, code nogirls. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. When a woman gets attacked online, it's a woman, it's her children, it's her mother, it's her sisters. Like, that will shut us down. There Are No Girls on the Internet is a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is There Are No Girls on the Internet. With historic numbers of women running for statewide office also comes a sobering reality that those same women are more likely to be targeted online for it. It's not just women running for office. We've seen educators, election workers, and their families being targeted. Now, this doesn't just harm the women being harassed and attacked. It's also meant to keep us from being able to fully participate in civic life. It's an attack on our democracy, and it's dangerous. I'm Shauna Dillaboo, and I am the CEO of Brightlines. 
Shauna is used to dangerous work. She learned about how the internet works and used what she learned to train law enforcement officials on how to target and combat violent drug cartels. So I worked on Mexico and like the drug cartels, and this was like 2010, 2011, and they were doing a fair amount of killing journalists, citizen journalists. And so, yeah, I was really deep into that side of the work. So it was really fulfilling. Shauna became an expert on PII, personal identifying information, and eventually started working to support journalists, activists, and civil society in places like the former Soviet Union to try to maintain a sense of democracy amidst a crumbling empire. And then, in the United States, Trump was elected, and her work became that much more relevant and in demand at home. And Trump got elected, and people in America finally wanted my services. And then around 2020, more and more people were concerned about their information online. So the stuff that I'd been training law enforcement on 10 years prior started to become really important to people here. Understanding that they had a lot of PII out there on all of these data broker sites and people search sites, now facial recognition sites, and how could they get that down so that people couldn't do them harm. And so in 21, we got a little bit of seed funding and I started Brightlines in August of last year. Something that I read about your work is that it's, I guess I might use the phrase like trauma informed, like you have a, a, you, you kind of bring that lens to the work that you do, which I feel like so often when I have conversations about technology and the internet and how to stay safe, the word trauma never even enters the conversation. And yet trauma is really like, a, I think, oftentimes a part of that experience. Absolutely. It is a magnifier. It scales trauma just like it scales anything else. The way that it's built to be so exclusive to a certain kind of experience, to exclude like the lived experiences of the people who are using it. It's just like this thing on its own can create trauma. Uh, can magnify trauma. And then if you're going through something traumatic because of the internet, it ignites a trauma response in the human being that can't, you can't do anything about it, right? You can't go to help. There's no help, right? And and it's so proximate because like your phone is under your pillow at night. It is mine under my pillow at night because I fall asleep listening to my podcast. And I don't wake up my family. So like it's right here in my ear. And to wake up and see like a flood of messages of people who are angry with me is triggering. And like not triggering in the sense of like it's a trigger warning. It might bring back memories like triggering of an autonomic response. Yeah, I had a trauma experience when I was living in, so I spent a summer in Mexico. I was attacked when I was there. I was stabbed by a man just in like a random, like, he wasn't even trying to rob me situation. Um, And when I came home, I had a lot of night terrors. I was diagnosed with PTSD. It took me a few years to finally sleep through the night and feel comfortable in my own skin. And I brought that experience, I could see it in everybody that we worked with overseas. Um, And I can see it in the movement work that we do now. And I can see it with the people who come to us for support because they're afraid of being doxxed or they've been doxxed. It is everywhere, the trauma. And like, how do you, how do we, (laughs) how do we keep like lining these rich white dudes pockets for technology that's like causing so many of us actual harm? so fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 it's, 
it's the reality of the work. And I think that you're so right that we keep allowing the rich white dudes to create and get rich off of technology that causes harm while not even like not even they don't even have to reckon with that. They can just sort of pretend like like what harm, what trauma. It's like the way that we have allowed wealthy <sighs> tech folks who are mostly white men to get rich off of our harm and turn our lives into like a marketplace for negative harmful experiences. It infuriates me to no end. <laughs> My friend Soraya Shimali always says, these guys named Jack on the board of Twitter, they're making money every time someone goes after me. He's like, there are more men named Jack than women on the board. And every time someone tweets bullshit at me, they make money. And I don't think we say that enough. I don't think that we hit on that enough. There's zero accountability around that, right? We know they don't let their own children use these tools, but love it when ours do. It's like, have you zero conscience? Great. Great. <laughs> yeah. More impactful than any nation state, you know? Now you have more breath and more money than any of us. So it's awesome. It's awesome times. There was once a time where I thought digital security kind of began and ended with protecting my credit card information or my social security number from scammers. But today, the real threat is so much more than that. So for folks listening, can you give us a definition of doxing? Yeah. Yeah, I think the really sort of bare bones definition is anything that is private being published um, publicly in some way. So a lot of times doxing means your private documents, like that's where the docs comes from. Um, in the beginning, I think folks considered that to be just like social security numbers or credit card numbers. We spoke with a legal team that was working with an abortion provider last week who is a, she has, um, she works with a public university in the Midwest. And so they were concerned about the public records requests they were getting and saying, okay, so we have to fulfill these requests. What if her information might be PII, personally identifiable information that could be doxxed, right? They were thinking about like that, like credit card numbers, social security numbers. And so we briefed them on just the amount of data we would call PII. So again, personally identifiable information that could lead to a dox. Um, I'd say the biggest threat of doxing is someone showing up at your home. The next threats are people making like threatening phone calls or sending threatening texts. We had a client who was receiving photo texts of guns. Just like a bunch of guns laid out on a bed with the accompanying message that I'm coming for you. Sometimes it's messages to their loved ones, particularly if they're women, women of color, or other intersectional identities, that threat gets spread out. So the docs will happen to their children, to their loved ones, their partner, their parents, right? Their mothers. It's usually it's usually other female presenting people. Um, and so those numbers might get shared or those email addresses might get shared or those home addresses. We spoke to a client today who was like, I don't own my home, but I helped my mother buy their her home and I'm worried about that part. I don't want anyone going after my mom. 
that's pretty common, right? So when someone gets kind of chewed up by this outrage machine, they're looking for any way to find a way to them in their personal life. So as we were explaining to these lawyers, like you need to think about is that person's cell phone number in their signature block on the emails that they're asking for? Is their personal email address in there? Are there photos of their newborn child that they might have shared with their colleagues at work? Is the name of the child out there? Because especially with abortion providers, um, child protective services will get called on them. And they can't do that if they don't know the name of the kid. <laughs> so in that case, they're looking for a way to get to you. And doxing would just mean publishing that someplace. Doxbin is a really popular place for that. There are other doxing-only websites. And sometimes folks do that on Twitter. Sometimes they do that on their own websites. Sometimes they, you know, do it on Telegram or Kiwi Farms or 8chan or, you know, those kind of cool places. Yeah. Such a cesspool of <laughs> crap. <laughs> We call it the alt-net when we're being nice, but I just generally call it like the cesspool. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty sad. And I think something that I so in doing the podcast, I think I had a little bit of a shift in how I understand doxing and the kinds of attacks and harassment that particularly marginalized people can face. Absolutely. I always thought that it was like, you know. Who who am I? Like no one's ever gonna want to come after me. I'm not really like like who who would want to who would spend their time finding this information? And something that people say again and again is like you never know what's going to be the thing that gets you on the wrong side of the wrong like gets you on that bad side of the wrong side of the internet. You really no. never know. And so be proactive to t- protect yourself. You never know when it's going to be your turn in the barrel. That's what we always say. The outrage machine loves to pick off an individual. It's like so hungry. It needs to be fed. And like individual people get thrown in there and sometimes for nothing. Do you know, like, did you see that this, maybe not, this, the Warby Parker customer service was fielding a bunch of threatening um, calls and like <laughs> threats to docs because, because Warby Parker wasn't advertising, I think, on Dan Bongino's website anymore. The women being targeted are not usually big, flashy public figures or well-moneyed or well-connected. They're just regular people who wanted to serve the public. Back in 2021, educator Cecilia Lewis didn't even know what critical race theory was, let alone had she been hired to teach it to school children in the Cherokee County School District in Georgia, where she had just been hired as a school administrator. But that didn't stop groups from organizing online to run her out of town, and run her out of the next town where she was hired to teach. This teacher, oh my gosh, I've been thinking about this ProPublica article, this teacher, Cecilia Lewis, she was an educator. You've heard the story. I have. Went down to work in Georgia. The people assumed she was there to teach critical race theory. They asked Cecilia Lewis what CRT is. She's like, culturally something, something. (laughs) She was not her agenda. And then they followed her to her next job in Georgia. It's just like, why? You know, like you're just looking for a scapegoat all the time. Um, you know, so you never know if it's because you help to update a Wikipedia article that someone's going to be angry with you, or you tweet something that gets taken out of context, or, you know, you're an election official. Yeah. Your mama mint. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Shay and Ruby Freeman, their testimony. I mean, this is such a tangent, but their testimony in the, the January 6th commission 
broke my heart. Like people showing up at the at her at her grandmother's house. Like grandmother's it was heartbreaking. Anybody who's who has an ounce of empathy could feel that they, they, they did nothing wrong. They were doing a job and not exactly like a glamorous or high paid or like well well compensated around the like all around or even like well appreciated job. They were doing a pretty tough and thankless and hot job and probably not getting paid very much for it. And that's the thanks they got. Yeah. I mean, and in that testimony, they talk about how, you know, they were drawn to community service, like helping their community. And I think that something is really broken and wrong when the cost of serving your community is being the target of, of these kinds of dangerous attacks. Bridget, you're a teacher. You're a teacher because you love children because you believe that like the next generation needs all the love and care and like just support that they can get. And then someone accuses you of being a groomer. And that's the end of your life as you know it. Like what the hell is wrong with people? Like if you've got some kind of grievance about what's happening for you, that's like yours, right? But and, and it's like you... You can go and project that on other people all you want. But in an age where political tensions are clearly very high, we have more guns than we have people in this country. And we have all this PII available. Like I said, I started working on this 10 years ago. The amount of data now versus then, it's exponentially more that's out there. You can find anything on anybody. That's not, that's, we've, I think we've gone a little too far swinging in that direction. Oh, yes. Let's take a quick break. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a backseat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me you'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Y'all know I love the internet, but a sad truth about it is that it can be a scary place, especially for women, people of color, and trans folks. We've talked to people on this podcast, whistleblowers, activists, and advocates who are making technology safer, who then become targets for doing that work. But the truth is, it can happen to any of us online. That's why I personally use and recommend Delete Me. 
Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online and makes sure it stays off. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeletemecom slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeletemecom slash nogirls code nogirls. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay, they can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. And we're back. We already know that women, especially Black women and women of color, have long been targeted, harassed, and attacked. But Shauna says it wasn't until the issue started impacting powerful white men and their families that legislators and tech companies really started paying any attention at all. In addition to poll workers like Shay and Ruby Freeman, who are Black women, being harassed and threatened after Trump baselessly claimed that they had helped rig the election against him in Georgia, Trisha Raffensperger, the wife of Georgia's Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, started getting threatening text messages and the militia group, the Oath Keepers, showed up outside of her home. Her daughter-in-law's home was broken into in what Trisha says was an attempt to intimidate her and her family. So many things to say. First of all, we don't have these tools because up until a year or two ago, this only happened to women and women of color and people of color and people who were not white men. It only started happening to white men, I'd say, in 2020 with Brad Raffensperger. And even then, it was his wife that was getting all the hate, right? Like, it didn't happen to people who mattered to people, right? And by people, I mean legislators and tech companies. Those are the, and they're run by the same group of people. Mm -hmm. So zero empathy, right? We're not people to them. Fine. So this was happening to just us. Great. So not a real concern. The police would tell folks all the time, like, oh, just get off the internet as though that were possible. Because again, fundamentally don't understand. It's not happening to me. I don't have to worry about it. Then you have all of these legislators who refuse to understand how technology works and because of Citizens United have been running their campaigns on tech donations and how can they possibly regulate them without, without having to do something, you know, like to piss off their, their money bags. They're like daddy Warbucks, right? <laughs> so like now 
Now there's more political will for it because, again, we're starting to see the political violence amp up because there's so much data out there. But I would argue, Bridget, and I don't see this anywhere else, and I don't understand why, all of these pieces of legislation that are getting proposed now carve out states selling data to data brokers to start with. It is state agencies, whether they're DMVs, that's pretty well documented, um, if they're utilities, if they're law enforcement databases that are getting sold to data brokers who are then selling them back to us, if it's like ICE or some other federal agency, but they're also selling them to data brokers. Wow, so just, just to make sure I understand, so state agencies, the DMV, my utilities company, my Pepco, whatever, they might be the ones who are selling this data and making money off of it that is putting people at risk. They are the ones that are doing it. Okay, so if you can't tell what Shauna just said, that it's actually our public services and state agencies, the places that we all have to deal with, we want the heat or the power or the water turned on in our apartments or just register to vote, are also the same places selling our sensitive data floored me. I just had no idea that that's one way that our information is being put out there. This is shocking information <laughs> to me. You're probably like, oh yeah, buckle up. <laughs> it gets worse. But I, I, I think that would be shocking information to most people. Right? You would never know it until you went to FOIA it. And I read, so the Center on Privacy and Technology at Georgetown did this two-year um, research project. They published it earlier this year called the American Dragnet. And their list of sources is just like, they FOIA'd all of these agencies across, I think it's 28 states, something like remarkable that sold their law enforcement databases to ICE. <laughs> that was their specific focus. I'd say in addition to utilities, we know that courts sell court records. And those usually like, so you imagine that you get a parking ticket because I live in DC and I can never remember which side of the street is street cleaning this week. I get a parking ticket and then I, there's a traffic court date. If I want to go, I don't even think about it. A ticket, it's like done, but there's a record, right? That has my name, my home address, the VIN number of my car, probably my date of birth, the information for my driver's license plus my car. And so that's a court record that would get sold. So then what happens? Someone wants to follow, like, the thing that terrifies me the most is, is with these election officials, what they were describing was that people would wait for them in the parking lot to leave. They would follow them, take pictures of their license plates. They didn't have to follow them home. They could then just go online, pay 20 bucks, and find out that person's home address, telephone number, whatever, because they had the license plate of that person. That's, I mean, yes, the idea no. that we've, yeah, and the idea that we, we've, I guess there's an expectation that govern, that your, you know, state and local agencies like that would be invested in keeping you safe, but I guess that's just not the case. Not at all. I don't think that they even think about that. I think they feel, what's killing me is that we pay taxes. So like, before data brokers approached any of these agencies and said, hey, can you sell me your um, assessor database so I know who lives where and I can put it on Block Shopper because I'd love to add that information, whatever. Like before that happened, these agencies ran just fine. 
on our tax dollars. If the issue is they have budget shortfalls because we aren't paying enough in taxes, like, well, we're still paying for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and in, in most cases, what is heartbreakingly ironic is that they're not even charging the value of it. Like, like $20. <laughs> well, but I mean, DC sells its entire voter file for two bucks. That includes Supreme Court justices. Like Jesus. a lot of really big people live in this town. <laughs> and so I see laws like, God bless her, Esther Salas, the federal judge in New Jersey, whose son was murdered in an attack on her home. Like the guy was looking for her, killed her son, shot her husband. My family has experienced a pain that no one should ever have to endure. And I am here asking everyone to help me ensure that no one ever has to experience this kind of pain. Judge Esther Salas's story is as tragic as it is terrifying. In July of 2020, an assailant came to Judge Salas's home and her 20-year-old son answered the door. Her son was shot and killed. Her husband was also shot, but he survived. The primary suspect was Roy Den Hollander, a self-proclaimed, quote, anti-feminist lawyer, known for things like bringing unsuccessful lawsuits against nightclubs for having ladies' nights and colleges for teaching women's studies courses. He had previously gone before Judge Solis in 2015 in a lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of the male-only military draft. Hollander died by suicide after being named a suspect in the attack. And after his death, it was revealed that he was also planning an attack on Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. In response, Judge Salas championed Daniel's Law, legislation specifically designed to protect personal information about active and retired judges, law enforcement officials, prosecutors, and their immediate family members from being made public. She drafted Daniel's Law that was passed in New Jersey. They brought it to the federal, you know, to the, to, to the federal level. And um, it just, it carved out two things. First of all, it carved out um, allowing their addresses. So they had to be flagged on a database if they were a federal judge or some other kind of judicial person. But never was it that they had to hide that information. So like if DC flagged the federal judge, or in this case of New Jersey, if if Esther Salas herself was flagged, she would never show up on a public, like on a database, on a, on a website. You could never search for her name and find her, search her address and find her. But what they don't seem to understand is that New Jersey would just sell the full database. And while she was flagged to not show up on their public facing website, there's no protection of her if the whole file just gets sold. So they don't seem to get that, right? And even with this ADPPA, like the American Data Privacy Protection Act, I think I, I don't remember entirely what it stands for, but they carve out state agencies. They're not considered, they don't even consider them when it comes to who's selling the data to data brokers, let alone consider like what a data broker is and how they would self-identify. I don't know if you've ever seen these tech companies when they get squirmily asked, like, are you a media company? Are you a tech company? Are you that? And they will not say. Because they don't have to, because then they'd be regulated like what they are, and they just won't do it. I think these data brokers aren't going to. Thomson Reuters is a journalism company that also has data of mine for 25 years, <laughs> has like a dorm address for me in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm like, I didn't even have utilities, I don't have a cell phone. How do you have this address? So 
yeah, I like to call it commodification without consent because they just keep selling it. And I think I was saying this, California sells its entire DMV database for like $30 million. Like they grossly undervalue their own product. It's like how? <laughs> so painful. It's so fucked up. You boxed so fucked up. If y'all are going to just like sell us out, could you at least make enough money? To- yeah, like make enough money that like, oh, you'll fix the roads. It's like, what, like why, why do I still have potholes if you're like, <laughs> you know? You're going to pull that shit and then I still have to live with like <laughs> your bullshit roads. Exactly. <sighs> I can diatribe continually. So you tell me if that's enough or if you have follow-up questions there. It's just so frustrating for them. They just don't get it. Or if I I don't, I can't see how they understand. And by they, I mean legislators that like, maybe a child protective services database doesn't need to be sold to Spokio, doesn't need to be sold to Thomson Reuters. Maybe that's something that could be protected because it fucking matters that it's protected. Like who needs to see that? No, nobody. Nobody needs to know. And I think it just speaks to this idea of like, do we want to live in a world where everything, even our most sensitive information about ourselves, our children, is for sale, has a price? I would argue, no, I would argue some things shouldn't be for sale, particularly by my state and local uh, gov- like government. Not without my consent. People still shit with the bathroom door closed. Until that changes, I would argue that no, they get to make that decision for themselves. And this is not that we don't get to decide. You have to have an ID to get on an airplane, to drive a car. You have to have an ID to get into a bar. Like you have to have identification. There's no option there. So that they're selling our ID information to some private company is fucking mind blowing. (laughs) How are you supposed to have heat? You're going to just freeze because you can't. You don't want your information to be sold to some conglomerate, which, by the way, that conglomerate gave Equifax, gives Equifax all their data to sell them. Because <laughs> in the 90s, they didn't understand the ramifications of the amount of data they were collecting. And of those 85 utilities or so, um, you know, millions, tens of millions of Americans' data, the, these Equifax was charged with building the database to put it all together. And in exchange, it got the sole rights to sell it to third parties. In the nineties, no one probably thought anything of it because they were dumb. <laughs> <laughs> we, they, we, they didn't know. <laughs> Who knew? Apparently these guys at Equifax are like, this is fucking money. <laughs> Look at all this data. It's going to mean something someday. <sighs> so evil. So evil. I'm happy that we are starting to get services and tools that are better than just like, oh, do this, do that, like piecemeal solution. What kind of services does Brightline offer for folks who are running for office, who are activists, who, you know, might be wanting to protect themselves online? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yes. So to my final, to the last point, I want to just say the narrative, the consistent narrative is that you did this to yourself. You operating on the internet and your social media in, in being on Facebook or posting this information, this is why your data is out there. You did this to yourself. And that is such a bald-faced lie and absolute bullshit. And it's the same story we hear from tech over and over. It has nothing, we didn't do anything wrong. 
So first and foremost, like if your PII is out there, it's nothing you did. More than likely, unless you took a photo of your driver's license and posted it someplace, <laughs> but most people don't do that kind of shit. So even then, wouldn't have been scraped by most of the databases, if not all, who have it. So don't believe that lie first. What do we do at Brightlines? So I think when you talk about Delete Me, there's another one called Canary. There are other services like that. Privacy Duck used to exist that would help scrape your information from data broker sites. That is low-hanging fruit. For the most part, those sites will opt your information out at least for a while. Uh, they've been, they do pop it back up, right? And so you can go through and do that kind of whack-a-mole with them across these hundreds of sites. So you can pay someone to do it with a, a bot and some human interaction, and that's relatively inexpensive. It is not easy, however, to get your information down at the core. And that is what we do. Like We go to the root of the public record. What's really difficult about the work we do is that it takes so much follow-up, cajoling, like being a really nice, like white lady and being like, oh, can you please take this? Oh, you know, like, I see that you love Jesus, me too. Would you take this abortion doctor shit off your website? Literally conversation we had this week. Um, <clears throat> blessings was her response. In any event, like there's a lot of kind of following up there. We have no protections right? Like section 230, well hated among privacy activists is like this shield for the content that's on a website that the, the website owner isn't responsible for the content that gets placed there. So like you, we were talking about at the start of the hour, like no accountability. And that is the opera, the, you know, the modus operandi of this industry. There's no accountability. Public records. Um, that is where we're different than anyone else because we don't want you to keep coming back. Um, other services are designed to keep having to knock your information down. That's fine. That's just not how we like to operate. So say a candidate, an activist, a journalist, um, a medical doctor, in some cases, a climate, a climate uh, scientist will come to us and say, hey, I'm worried about these pieces. My mom owns a home. I own this farm because that's a thing that actually a handful of our clients have farms. Like I started a company, registered it in my name and my home address. I'm registered to vote in this state that I'm worried about that. And um, they'll ask, do you know, what do I do? I've been getting some messages online that bother me, or I'm afraid that because my work is in race equity, I will. And I have a little child at home or I have several children at home or I'm Chinese American and that's our latest like hate flavor, right? So what can I do? So we'll take a few minutes with them to understand their concerns, um, talk through what has happened and what they're, what's coming up for them in their lives. And then the areas where, and by that I mean like, are they going to be speaking publicly? Are they publishing something, et cetera? And then talk with them about, you know, who's at home, who they want to protect, what they want to protect. Sometimes it's an identity. Sometimes it's an identity or a, a previous marriage that they don't want folks to know about, or it's they have little children, or their mom, right? Or their grandma. And so <clears throat> what we'll then do is take like a delete me and start scrubbing the low-hanging fruit that's on the data broker sites, and then use a handful of, frankly, arcane legal mechanisms to try to compel a website to remove their information and or an agency. So we'll often tell folks to put their home in a revocable trust, 
which isn't an easy thing to do to find an estate lawyer who understands your privacy concerns, can help you name your trust in a way that wouldn't immediately identify you. Um, and then to understand like what that updated filing looks like on, say, DC, DC, DCRA's website, right, or on Jefferson County or Marion County's website. Um, would the website also have the addendum that's like, this was this and now it's this? Like, is there a transfer of sale? What does all of that look like? So in some cases, we ask them for revocable trust for folks who can afford it. We talk to them about using an LLC because that's more, um, it's more coverage. It's more protection. It's just harder with capital gains. Folks lose out on the gains of their, of their money and, and sometimes of their investment. Sometimes the mortgages, mortgage companies won't lend to an LLC. So there's more complexity than is necessary there. Um, the point is to create a firewall between your name and your home address. That's our like number one, always, 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 because with our clients who have successfully put their homes in trusts, we see the amount of data across the board nosedive within a few months. Wow. It's expensive. It's a high barrier to entry and it sucks that that's the case. We just should maybe not be selling that data point blank, you know, like just don't, it doesn't need to be online everywhere. Then we'll talk to folks about voter records because those are often those voter files get sold to lots of people and there is no like DRM. Like if you sell it to a campaign, there's nothing stopping that camp and a campaign can buy it, right? Like in a lot of cases, they are a perfectly protected buyer of a voter file. They need it, but there's nothing stopping them from selling it down the line. Most are scrupulous. They wouldn't do that, but not everybody's like that. And so then that, in, there's one state, Colorado, that allows someone to file as a register as a confidential voter. In no other state does that exist. So there, we try to work with an address confidentiality program that's set up for survivors of domestic violence and intimate partner violence, not for just like regular folks. Not all states have them. Not all would be flexible enough to allow a person who's just being taunted online or threatened with doxing. Um, to apply and to have their application approved. In some states, it's possible. And what that does is shield the home address. People have an alternate address that would forward the mail to their home if they wanted. It shields their home address from the DMV, and it shields their home address from a voter record. So you basically are hiding from the government in these really difficult and expensive ways. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I'm so grateful that you're providing these services to people, but I and, I and I really admire the tools that you all are building. But part of me wishes that you didn't have to be, you know, doing this. Like, do you do you do you see a situation where that's ever the case, like where we have the kind of world where the kind of tools that you offer folks just aren't necessary? I mean, Europe under GDPR. They can do a round of like a delete me and for the most part their information is scrubbed more after a quick break hey ladies it's bridget todd here may is high blood pressure education month it is crucial for us especially as black women to focus on our heart health we pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives but often our own health takes a back seat that's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, 
your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment, whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let's get right back into it. GDPR, or General Data Protection Regulation, is a regulation that came into effect in 2018 that aims to enhance control and rights over individuals' personal data across Europe. We had a client there. They moved, their principals moved to the U.S. with the client as a, a U.K.-based company. And they were like, what are you all doing? <laughs> why do they have so much of your data? Why, why are your own agencies betraying you? And I was like, yeah. No, you're right. Um, no, I'd love it. I'd love it if we had a federal piece of federal legislation in place that protected us. 
if we had a whole suite of tools, if we had recourse, if we had an agency like the FTC that could actually have some teeth, if we could file lawsuits, do you know that meant something? Like these fines, even my biggest complaint with GDPR is the fines that these companies get. They're just like, ah, eh, cost of doing business. Like what's 30 million? What's 300 million? Not that much to them. Like, I don't think <laughs> I don't think the fine is the way that it works, you know. I think there needs to be um yeah, the only way through this is for there to be a consideration around state agencies selling data. And first we have to admit we have a problem. <laughs> it's just you know, step one, admitting to yourself another person. This this is a big fucking problem. Yeah, when people are having to go to like go through so many hoops just to vote and own property or rent a place or whatever i would say that's a problem yeah yeah there's no privacy in america any longer and who's benefiting a bunch of wealthy white men run companies like big corporations why are we doing this to ourselves how many assassinations will we have to see before we start to put two and two together this man showing up at pramila jayapal's like outside of her home terrifying terrifying we can find all of those folks that's not great. And so like when, when representative Jayapal, when this happened to her, the Sergeant at arms, you know, in Congress was like, Oh, here's money you can spend to like lock down your house. It's like, bruh. Like if they're already at your house, you've lost. Yeah. Like why not stop them long before they get there? It's like, Oh, now you have mouth cancer. We can do this really invasive and difficult thing and it might save you. But if you just brushed your teeth for the last 30 years, you, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, just like not. Yeah, I would love it if we didn't exist. Don't repeat that to any investor. <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I would love it if we didn't exist. I'm banking on that we'll have to for a while. Yeah. I mean, I wonder, do, do you see, you know, we've seen more and more like women, LGBTQ folks, folks of color, you know, running for office, which is awesome. And like holding public office, which is awesome. But the reality is, is that these same folks are disproportionately targeted for this kind of harassment. And so mm-hmm. I'm wondering, like, do you see this as a gender and race issue? And like, mm-hmm. do you, and do you see it as like, I don't know, I, I just see it as a direct threat to our democracy. Mm-hmm. Like we can't have a functional democracy while this is a thing that is happening. We don't anymore. Arguably, so I, this became my, like, real bee in my bonnet in 2017. I'm from Iowa. And a candidate who was running against the reprehensible Steve King, running with Kim Weaver, dropped out of a race in 2017 for a couple of reasons that didn't really get reported all that well. One, she came out of her house one day and there was a for sale sign in the front yard. Two, the government agents and state agencies she was working for had just had their budget cut by the exact amount of her salary. And she was like, well, I'm harming people in my, in my office who did nothing wrong and they're coming to my home. I'm done. And she dropped out of a race. And I was like, that's no, we no longer live in a democracy. If a person can't run out of those fears, like someone's going to physically harm her or because we're women, like the way that we, for the most part, not to be completely like genderizing this, but like for the most part, women take, take it very we take risks in a certain way. We'll risk not for ourselves necessarily our personal gain. We'll take risks for the people around us. The, the inverse is true as well. If the people around us are being harmed by our behavior, we've been trained throughout our years of presenting as women that we need to stop whatever we're doing. 
So that is why when a woman gets attacked online, it's a woman, it's her children, it's her mother, it's her sisters. Like that will shut us down because, because that's our training, right? So <clears throat> yeah, arguably we don't live in democracy anymore. I started this because I thought the way that America would survive in some way, shape or form, not necessarily as the democracy we see today, because I don't think it's much of a real democracy. It's founded on like a lot of privilege and on the backs of enslaved peoples. So like, I don't care if that democracy continues, but what I'd love for our country and like our, our communities and our society, like globally to look like would be one where we are actually represented by the people in our communities, right? In an equitable manner. That's not going to happen if we have to keep electing Joe Biden to fight off Donald Trump. Mm. Bless him. He's maybe, you know, a really wonderful person, but his lived experiences aren't Kamala Harris's. Do you know? Just not. He has no idea what she's been through in her life. I would much rather see a leader like that who has been had to learn a lot about empathy and the experiences of other people and herself having those inform the policy making. Only then are we going to start treating people like human beings. We wouldn't see Roe v. Wade being overturned if we had been able to elect people who looked like us, who'd had our lived experiences. It's a complete lack of empathy on the part of those judges. It's such a cruelty. If you've ever known or yourself lost a pregnancy that you very much wanted, I have. Like, that is so, it is so cruel what they've done. And like, we just wouldn't be there as a nation treating people like non-humans. Hmm. Wouldn't be a hundred or however many hundreds of police officers standing outside of a school while children were being murdered. Because we would see those children as human beings. And I just don't, I just don't think that our structures allow for that at this point. I feel like I've gotten really far afield from Brightline. No, this is, I mean, I think it's all, it's all related. And I think I'm, it makes me feel good that the thing that animates you and motivates you in this work is getting back to that humanity, because it does feel like we've, we've take it we've we've come so far from that i feel it in in our national political conversations and the way that we interact online like it's so clear that humanity we have just some like has somehow gotten lost in the mix completely there's no seeing each other as human beings anymore it's like what can i do to satisfy my own feelings of like need or outrage my own selfishness right it just really it is not a high point <laughs> For the citizens of this country, by not even citizens, that's not fair, but like the people who inhabit Turtle Island, that inhabit this space, right? You know, like it's not, we're not, it's not a high point in our existence as a, as a species by any means. And I think that's been fueled by the way our technology has been built. If you look at the beginnings of the internet and all the hopes for this utopian space and like how we could be so connected, I think about being a kid who was just weird. I was just a weird kid growing up in Iowa. I wasn't like other kids. And I didn't know that other weirdos were out there until I got to college. And then I had to like go abroad and I found other, even, and then I came here to DC and I was like, oh yeah, you're my weirdos. My nephew is 16. He's out as bi in Illinois. So like in a similarly very like kind of small Midwestern place. And he knows he's not alone. He knows there are other people out there. He also has to deal with a fair amount of shit that I didn't have to as a kid who didn't have 
social media and the internet so close, right? But at least he knows that he's not alone. And I think there was this promise of the internet being a place where you didn't have to, where you would feel connected to other people and where you could increase your empathy skills and you can understand the experiences of people who weren't like you. And we have gone so far afield from that. Now it's like this tool to divide, <laughs> whether being manipulated by like Russian or like even frankly, like I worked on China. I understood that they also do this work where they intentionally, not necessarily in foreign countries, but sway, influence public opinion online. Like we can be manipulated outside of the country. We can also be perfectly manipulated by our own people. If Shinzo Abe can be assassinated in a, in a country without guns, mm. that's all you need to know. There don't, we don't need to train militias any longer. We don't need to train military forces. Frankly, like we need to get inside of the head of one person. All of us have become sleeper cells. That's terrifying. You know, at what point do you make a bad decision because of something you're sure you heard on like some QAnon podcast, YouTube, whatever craziness. And like, there's no, you fall down that rabbit hole and where do you come out? Ugh, it's true. It's true. And you know, something that you said that really sticks with me because it really resonates with my own experiences. You know, I I live in DC as well. I grew up in Virginia, and um, yeah, I was like the weird kid in a tiny town in the South who didn't know. I, I felt very alone. I felt very alien. I felt very strange. And yep. the day that my parents brought home a computer and I first got on America Online, remember that like terrible yes. noise, like. <laughs> Like that awful noise. Uh, that was the first time that I was like, oh, there's other people out there like me. Like, I'm not alone. And I know that I would not, like, the path of self-discovery that that set me on, I am so grateful for in my life. And I know that I wouldn't be where I am now without it. And I feel like the generation that comes before us, I wonder, are they having the same experiences that feel like self-discovery, that feel like creativity, that feel like safe exploration of who they are? You know, are are we leaving behind an internet that is worse or better than the one that I grew up with that was so impactful for me? I, I would argue it's not better. It's not better. It's certainly not better. No, I don't think more is better. I don't think more images are better. These friends of mine, they have a, my friend has a stepdaughter who um, is in college and bless her. She had to graduate from high school and do her freshman year, both during like COVID quarantine. So she got robbed of quite a little bit. She's a really adaptive young woman, bright, beautiful young woman. She finally gets her like trip to Italy over the summer and, and creates an itinerary that's where she can take all of her Instagram shots. It's not how I planned my trip to Italy. And they're like laughing. They're like, it's not how we planned our trips to Italy. Like, that's not how we did our like summer in Europe or whatever privileged, cool thing that we got to do. Right. Like it's, I don't, I don't know that her experience was like that much better because she got to go to these like beautiful places and take these beautiful photos of herself looking amazing. Sure. I'm sure. Right. And would it have been just as cool to see the Mayor Duomo? Like would have been just as cool to see like St. Peter's, you know, like could you have had an amazing time that led you down a different path in your life? If it weren't so, if you weren't, if you hadn't been so focused on what you were doing for the gram. Yeah. Oh, I don't know that it's better. <laughs> I don't think it's better. And it doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel like it's a safe place to explore because the ramifications are so real world. 
It was one thing to feel unsafe because you could be harassed. That's already shitty. But then to know that you'd be outed to your parents, your grandparents, like your friends, your people back home, like to a community that you struggle to be part of still because they're bigoted for whatever reason, right? And and it's no one else's business but your own. Like you get to decide when you come out and blah, 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 right? Like to have someone know that about you and then find you at IRL and then share it. Like that's a risk I didn't have to take with the internet. Mm. I could still be my crazy self. You know, no one was ever going to know. I call, I lived in Spain for my junior and senior year. Try not to hate. It was so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I would call my family once a week because that was the long distance plan that they could afford. It's still a lot of money to call back then, right? Um, they had no idea what I was doing. There were no ramifications for the life that I had. I got to live this like fairy tale existence where I got to like leave behind all the family trauma and like all the drama and like all their stuff and just live my own life. For two years, there was a reason I didn't come home after my junior year abroad. I was like, "This is great." <laughs> yeah, I can't. There, that doesn't that one that doesn't happen now. It can't happen now. So yeah, I really wish that the real world ramifications weren't what they used to be, or weren't aren't what they are now for people. Yeah, they were closer to what they used to be, which was nothing, very little. What you decided to share, what you consented to, to be trauma-informed and sensitive about it, like for your decisions to inform the image that the information people get to receive. And we don't live that way now in real life, let alone online. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. It makes all, it makes so much sense. And I think that's exactly it. Somewhere along the line, it's like we gave that up without even really realizing how precious it was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a few years ago, my mother-in-law was living with us. She's disabled. She was sick and she'd come up here. Um, she couldn't, you know, North Carolina was one of those States that didn't have, um, the Medicaid expansion. So she needed, she needed more care and it was no longer affordable down there. And I remember reading something, this was 2017 about how the Girl Scouts had chosen this Palo Alto networks to partner with them to make the cybersecurity badge. And I'll go to look at their like board of directors and their C-suite. And I'm like, Oh, there's one woman. Do I have to tell you what department she was running? HR. Of course. (laughs) No. Right. So like, I was like this, these fucking guys. Right. And so I'm about to go on a Twitter tirade. And then I think about Kathy sitting on my front porch and how easy it would be to find her day in and day out. And I, I cannot, I can't rant like I'd like to, which is a privilege, right? But like to be able to like speak my mind. But it's one that most folks assume we have as a, an absolute right. And most of us don't. And fewer of us do now than we ever did. Oh, absolutely. You know, the, on, on this show, we talked to mostly women, women of color, LGBTQ folks, most of whom are involved in things like they're activists or they're like advocating for making technology safer and better, the the internet safer safer and better. I would say probably at least 
10 different times I have done interviews, they are in some level of hiding. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm not I'm not in my apartment right now. I'm in a I'm, I'm speaking to you from a safe location. Just recently, someone I had an interview set with had to cancel. She was like, I've pulled out of all public appearances because of because I'm being attacked by right wing extremists because of my disinformation work with the Biden administration. And it was like. The, the, the amount of times that I have heard that story again and again, where it's like, oh, yeah, because of my work, my opinions, putting my putting my opinions out there, being civically engaged, I'm not safe. I'm not able to be at home. I'm in a, I'm in a safe place. You're speaking to me from a safe house. Maybe you're not speaking to me at all. Like it, it has happened again and again and again. And I think it really says something about the state of play that we're at right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like if they can't be civically engaged then no, we aren't living in a democracy. That's violence against women in politics from top to bottom, right? It can happen to women being like politically assassinated who are running for office, who are part of a party, who are in office. And it also means that women can't participate. That is the same level of VAP in my mind. Like you're not, yeah, we are not, this is not a democracy. And I think the sooner I said to my husband the other day, I was like, what do you think a civil war would look like in America in the 21st century? And he's like this. I think we're living it. I think yeah. we're it and we just don't realize it for the most part yet. This is it. Like we are not in a position where I cannot believe. So if you have other guests who are in this position who need help, please feel free to send them our way. We don't, we're not cheap and we can get in touch with different funds for different kinds of activists and journalists to help pay for things because it makes me sick and I'm not surprised. This is where we are. This is why. We started this because I believe we're more than we are acting like we are right now. Mm. As a species, I believe that we're we're more than what we're doing right now. And I, I won't stop being hopeful and I won't stop being optimistic about the future of humanity. Um, and I won't stop fighting for us to be more. And this is one small way that I feel like we can start to move towards more, evolved more, human, more kind, more whatever the word is. Um, yeah, we're more than we are <laughs> in, in this 21st century moment. Got a story about an interesting thing in tech or just want to say hi? You can reach us at hello at tangodi.com. You can also find transcripts for today's episode at tangodi.com. There Are No Girls on the Internet was created by me, Bridget Todd. It's a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. Jonathan Strickland is our executive producer. Tari Harrison is our producer and sound engineer. Michael Amato is our contributing producer. I'm your host, Bridget Todd. If you want to help us grow, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com slash RTP.
Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate girl bomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. Open a limited time 11 month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus, it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.